this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Listen to the Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. What beautiful music it makes, no? The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The following presentation is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Dare to go down into the cellar? The Cellar, starring the Narada Radio Company and hosted by Cadavera Quivery. when you hang out and give me the latest noose. <laughs> it does get pretty lonely here sometimes. The last time somebody stopped by was a few weeks ago. A very nice young man who wanted to tell me about a local blood drive. Very local. He wanted to drive his fangs into my neck. <laughs> oh, yes, my pet. I love giving to charity. Of course I do. <laughs> Why, just the other day, I sent off a generous check to the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Werewolves. <laughs> well, now that you're here, creeps, why not stay to hear the latest masterpiece of horror from my big book of eerie tales? Yes. Our story tonight takes place in Texas, specifically West Texas, out on the plains. Let's meet Steve Brill and Juan Lopez. Steve Brill did not believe in ghosts or demons. Juan Lopez did. But neither the caution of the one nor the sturdy skepticism of the other was shielded against the horror that fell upon them. The horror forgotten by men for more than 300 years. A screaming fear monstrously resurrected from the black lost ages. <laughs> oh, bury me now, 
Hey, Lopez, wait up a minute. Lopez, it ain't none of my business, but I just wanted to ask you, how come you always go so far around that old Indian man? Hmm, no savvy. You're a liar. <laughs> you savvy, all right. You speak English as good as me. What's the matter? You think that man's hanted or something? It's not a good place. No bueno. Let hidden things rest. I reckon you're scared of ghosts. <laughs> Shucks. If that is an Indian man, them Indians been dead so long their ghosts be plumb wore out by now. Best not to disturb what is hidden in the earth. Bosh. Me and some boys busted into one of them mounds over in Palo Pinto country and dug up pieces of a skeleton with some beads and flint arrowheads and the like. I kept some of them teeth till I lost them. And I ain't never been hainted. <clears throat> Indians? Who spoke of Indians? There have been more than Indians in this country. In the old times, strange things happened here. I have heard the tales of my people handed down from generation to generation. And my people were here long before yours, Senor Brill. Yeah, you're right. First white men in this country were Spaniards, of course. Coronado passed along not very far from here, I hear tell. And Hernando de Estrada's expedition came through here way back yonder. I don't know how long ago. In 1545, they pitched camp yonder where your corral stands now. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Not much of a corral. A pair of workhorses and a scrawny cow. How come you know so much about it? One of my ancestors marched with de Estrada, a soldier, Porfirio Lopez. He told his son of that expedition, and he told his son, and so down the family line to me, who has no son to whom I can tell the tale. Huh. Well, I didn't know you were so well connected. Maybe you know about this gold de Estrada was supposed to hid round here somewhere. There was no gold. De Estrada's soldiers bore only the arms and they fought their way through hostile country. Many left their bones along the trail. Later, many years later, a mule train from Santa Fe was attacked not many miles from here by Comanches, and they hid their gold and escaped, so the legends got mixed up. But even their gold is not there now, because gringo buffalo hunters found it and dug it up. You don't say. Well... Anyway, I got nothing else to do, and I believe I'll dig into that old mound and see what I can find. Dios, no! Don't do that, Senor Brill. There's a curse. My grandfather told me. Told you what? I am sworn to silence. Only to that eldest son could I open my heart. But believe me when I say... Better had you cut your own throat than to break into that cursed mound. Well, if it's so bad, why don't you tell me about it? Give me a logical reason for not busting into it. I cannot speak. I know. But I swore to silence on the holy crucifix, just as every man of my family has sworn. It is a thing so dark, it is to risk damnation even to speak of it. Were I to tell you, I would blast the soul from my body. But I have sworn... And I have no son, so my lips are sealed forever. <laughs> well then, why don't you write it out? What? Senor, I will. Just be thanked the good priest taught me to write when I was a child. My oath said nothing of writing. I only swore not to speak. 
I will write out the whole thing for you if you swear not to speak of it afterwards and to destroy the paper as soon as you have read it. Why, sure, Lopez, I'll do that. Bueno, I will go at once and write. Tomorrow as I go to work, I will bring you the paper and you will understand why no one must open that accursed mound. See you later, amigo. <laughs> He's a loco old Mexican. It has to be an Indian mound. I don't care what he says. It looks just like them others I've seen. Boy, he's really traveling. Fastest I've ever seen him move. He's already in the trees along the creek bank. What's that old boy gonna tell me? <laughs> I ain't gonna wait around to find out. I reckon I got enough daylight left to crack it open and see what it is before sunset. Oh, Lopez was hiding something. Yeah, is that where that gold is hid? Shovel, pick. Ah, let's go find out. It's possible the Deistratus musketeers gathered up a pile of gold. So big they couldn't haul it away. So they dressed it up like an Indian man to fool treasure seekers. Does old Lopez know about it? Them old Mexican superstitions will make an old boy like him work like a dog instead of risking the wrath of ghosts. <laughs> What's this? Holy smokes, it's almost too dark to see. I didn't even notice. Huh. Anyway, what is this thing? A spur owl? Yeah. Looks Spanish to me. Long points. Cruel bastards. <laughs> but, huh. How did a Spanish relic end up in an Indian man? Huh. Well, figure it out later, Steve. Attention, class. So, traditional Indian mounds were constructed with the bones of the chief situated in a narrow chamber in the center built of heavy stones. The ancient people who raised these sepulchres would keep fires burning on them for days at some point in the building. Any excavator who opened up one of these mounds would likely find a layer of charcoal a short distance below the surface.
Yeah, I wonder what old Lopez will say tomorrow when he comes by and sees I opened up this box. Good thing I did it this evening. That old mech might have tried to keep me from doing it. Okay. Let's see what we got here. What the hell? That big stone's been pushed aside. How'd that happen? And the chamber's empty. Ugh. Lopez, the dirty coyote. He's been watching me work. And when I went after the lantern, he snuck up and pried the rock out. And grabbed whatever was in there, I reckon. Aw, oh, blast his greasy hide. I'll fix him. Where are you, Lopez? Moon's setting can't hardly see nothing. Ah, there you are, you skunk, beating it back to his shack. He sure got something or he wouldn't be traveling at that speed. Oh, is... is it Lopez? Whew! Uh, something gave me a chill on the back of my neck. He sure don't move the same as Lopez. Oh, but it has to be him. And whatever he found, well, it's as much mine as his. I got this land leased, and, and I done all the work digging. A curse, hell. No wonder he told me all that stuff. Wanted me to leave it alone so he could get it himself. It's a wonder he ain't dug it up long before this, but but you can't never tell about these mechs. Huh. Night sure is quiet. Kind of spooky-like. Lopez's shack ought to be right over this rise. Yup, there it is. Down on that mesquite flat. Lights burning in the window. Packing his things for a getaway, I reckon. No! Oh, what the? Good God! Lopez, or, or somebody. Lopez! 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 Mr. Brill, Steve! Steve, wake up! 
Steve, you... <sighs> what? What? Wait. Who, who are... Steve, shh, shh. You're in Dr. Cashin's office in Coyote Wells. How do you feel? Lopez. Oh, where's Lopez? Did that thing get... Let me get the doctor. Doc Cashin? Mr. Brill's awake. I'll be right in. Yes, doctor. Here, Mr. Brill. I imagine you're pretty thirsty. Oh, yeah. Uh. 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 Thanks, miss. That, that hit the spot. I feel like I ain't had no water for days. Hey. Uh, can I have some more? Of course. But sip this one a little slower, okay? Much obliged. Well, Steve, it's good to see you awake. You gave us all quite a scare for a while there. How you feeling, son? I'm all right, I guess. But what... Why am I... How did I get here to Coyote Wales? Well now, Steve, if you're up to it, Sheriff Maycomb here wants to ask you a few questions, and I imagine he'll answer most of yours as well. Oh, um, howdy, Tim. Steve, you all right? Sure. What do you want to know? Betsy, why don't we leave our patient and the sheriff to chat? Hmm? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, Doc. Um, Steve, you just ring this little bell here if you need something, all right? <laughs> sure. Okay. Steve, what do you remember about the other night? The other night? What's that supposed to mean, Tim? My deputy brought you here Tuesday night. This here's Friday morning. What? How did he even know to come out? Well, even though your cabin's ten miles out of town, pretty near everybody in town could see the flames when it caught fire. When Kerry got there, he found you face down in the dirt, about twenty paces from the cabin. There weren't anything he could do, so he just let it burn itself out. Todd Nation. Now, <clears throat> now, Steve, you know how you got here, and you need to tell me what happened out there. You ain't gonna believe it, Tim. Try me. Okay. Light me a smoke, Tim, and I'll tell it better. Now, Tuesday evening, long about an hour or so before sundown, I was sitting out in the steps in front of my cabin. <clears throat> Here. Thanks. I was angry. Built up a real mad at myself on account of how I was a failure at farming and wishing I'd never climbed down off the hurricane deck of my crank-eyed Mustang and turned to the trade. Hell, I was never meant to be no father. Anyway, that's how my thoughts was going when out of the corner of my eye I seen old Juan Lopez trudging along. You know Lopez. He lives in a shack smaller than mine. And just out of sight, over the hill across the creek. Well, he was doing some work on another farm and had to cross the corner of my pasture to get home. I seen him do this every day for a month and he always swerved around this little hillock and walked a little faster when he did it. And he always seemed to get past it before sundown. Steve, is all this important? Tim, one thing leads to another. I gotta tell you everything. Okay, so I calls out to Lopez, and we start in to talk.
And I hear this scream, and it made cold sweat break out on my neck, and I know it's Lopez down there in his shack, and maybe it's wandering Prowlers, murdering him for the loot he stole out of that Indian man. But it had to be something worse than Prowlers, if a man screams like that, right? So I start running down the slope, calling out his name, and then the light goes out, just as I hit the flat. And in the dark, I slam right up again a mesquite tree. Well, I let out a curse and charged towards the door of Lopez's shack, and it was bolted. I called out to the old mix, but he didn't answer. I carried my pickaxe with me all the way there, mostly for protection, but I was glad to have it with me as I swung it at the door. Well, it only took one swing, and the door fell in. What'd you see when you went in? Well, I lit a match quick, I can tell you. My imagination was running wild in the dock, and there was total silence in there. I mean, complete. And as soon as I did, I saw Lopez. What was Lopez doing? Nothing. He were dead. <sighs> Lopez was on the dirt floor of that shack, with his arms stretched out like a crucifix. His mouth was hanging open, and his eyes were wide open too, staring out of his dead face. I tell you, Sheriff, I couldn't hardly stand it. Um, the window was open, the only one in the place, and I figured that was how Lopez's killer got out. Maybe how he got in, too. I went over and looked out at the mesquite flat, at the slope I'd run down, and thought for a second that just maybe I'd seen something moving out there in the trees, just the hint of some figure loping away from the shack. The match went out, so I lit the old kerosene lamp on the table and decided to look over the body. <sighs> the look on the old Mex's face didn't leave no doubt that his death was horrible, but I couldn't find no mark on him nowhere, no wound, no sign of any injury. But then I pulled my hand away and saw a little trace of blood. Okay, well now we're getting somewhere. And where did this blood come from? You already know where it came from, Tim. Don't tell me you ain't already found Lopez dead in his shack. We'll talk about that later. Still, I need you to tell me your side of things. Yeah, okay. Right, right. So I looked him over again. And this time I found four tiny puncture marks in Lopez's throat. Oozing just a little bit of blood. I right away thought that maybe somebody stabbed him there with a stiletto. But then I remembered what stiletto wounds look like. I mean, I have the scar from one right here. And thought maybe they looked more like bite wounds. Bite wounds? Yeah, well, more like fangs. Four-pointed fangs. Okay, keep going. So after that, I stand up and look around the room. And I see these pieces of paper scattered around with handwriting on them. And I remembered what old Lopez had said that he was going to write about the curse on the mound. He must have started writing as soon as he got back. Must have been writing for hours. It all seemed to add up that Lopez couldn't have... He just couldn't have been the one that'd come in and broke into that burial chamber and stole what was in it. But who was it in God's name? And who had I seen loping over the hill? What did Lopez write? Huh? Oh, now, Tim, I need to tell this the way it happened, okay? I'll tell you everything, but I have to tell it my own way. Sabe? Okay, then. Well now, I realized that the only thing to do was head back to my place, saddle up my Mustang, and ride in to see you about it. So I gathered up the papers. The last page was clutched in the old man's hand. It was pretty hard to get it loose. I went to put out Lopez's oil lamp, and suddenly I broke out in that cold sweat again. I remembered just then that I'd seen a dark figure pass in front of the window, just before the light had gone out. It hadn't seemed quite uh, human. 
I cussed myself for being a fool and lit the lantern I brought with me from my cabin, then put out Lopez's lamp. Now, as soon as I stepped out into the night, I heard the sound of my livestock being scared off, coming over the crest of the hill. What do you think scared them off, Steve? Well, in that moment, the first thing come to my mind was a panther. My Mustang screamed like it was scared unto death. And then maybe I thought Lopez had been killed by the same beast. But I quit that idea on account of Lopez didn't have no claw marks on him. But I took off a running, hoping to catch up with them before they got too far. But when I got back to the corral, there weren't a single animal left. Not even my old milch cow. And the bars were down. And you know as well as me what that meant. That weren't no panther, Steve. Nope. That meant it was a person. And it were a person who didn't want me riding my Mustang into Coyote Wells to talk to you. But what kind of person would give my livestock such a fright? Well, I felt a cold finger of fear at the base of my spine, I can tell you, Tim. No, I can't say as I'd blame you. So I heads over to the cabin, but I don't go right in. Careful like, I creeps all around it, peeping in at the darkened windows, listening with my ears wide open for some noise, some sign of the killer inside. Nothing. So at last, I stands in front of the door, holds my lantern high in one hand, pickaxe ready in the other, and walks in. And? And nothing. The inside was just as empty as the outside. I bolted the door and locked the windows and lit up my kerosene lamp. I couldn't stop thinking about Lopez, lying dead on his back over across the creek. But nothing was going to make me head over to the town on foot in the dark. I knew my reliable old Colt 45 would help me feel better. So I got it out and checked it and kept it close as I sat down to read the papers I brought back from the Lopez hut. At last. This is what I've been waiting for. Tim, are you going to let me tell it? Tell it. I'm just sitting here. All right. I'll try to tell it the way old Lopez wrote it. Because as I started reading the old man's scrawl, I felt an icy cold horror grow in my gut. Because the old man had written a tale of fear. A tale handed down from generation to generation. A tale of ancient times. Senor Brew, this is the tale of the Caballero Hernando de Estrada and his armored pikemen, who dared the deserts of the Southwest when all was strange and unknown. There was about 40 soldiers, servants, and masters at the beginning. There was the captain, de Estrada, and the priest and the young Juan Sabia and Don Santiago de Valdez, a mysterious nobleman who had been taken off a helpless floating ship in the Caribbean Sea. All the others in the crew had died of the plague, de Valdez had told him, and he had cast their bodies overboard. So de Estrada had taken de Valdez aboard the ship that was bearing the expedition from Spain, and the stranger joined them in their expeditions. Remember, Senor Brun, that all of this happened more than 300 years ago. The expedition experienced many hardships on the way, drought, thirst, floods, the desert sandstorms, the spears of hostile redskins. But there was another peril that they did not expect and could not fight against. A grisly, lurking horror that fell upon the lonely caravan wandering through the wilds. Man by man they fell, and no man knew the slayer. Fear and black suspicion ate at the heart of the expedition like a canker, and Capitan de Estrada knew not where to turn. 
but this they all knew. Among them was a fiend in human form. Men began to draw apart from each other, to scatter along the line of march and this mutual suspicion that sought security in solitude made things easier for the fiend. The skeleton of the expedition staggered through the wilderness, lost, dazed, and helpless, and still the unseen horror hung on their flanks, dragging down the stragglers, preying on drowsing sentries and sleeping men. And on the throat of each was found the wounds of pointed fangs that bled the victims white, so that the living knew with what manner of evil they had to deal. The men reeled through the wild, calling on the saints or blaspheming in their terror, fighting vainly against sleep until they fell with exhaustion, and sleep stole on them with horror and death. A cannibal slave from Calabar, a giant black man, was suspected, and they put him in chains. But young Juan Sabia went the way of the rest, and then the priest was taken. But the priest fought off the fiend and lived long enough to gasp the demon's name to De Astrada. And now it was evident to the leader of the expedition that the priest had spoken the truth, and the slayer was Don Santiago de Valdez, who was a vampire, an undead fiend subsisting on the blood of the living. And De Astrada remembered an old tale of a nobleman who had lurked in the mountains of Castile since the days of the Moors, feeding off the blood of helpless victims. The nobleman had been driven forth, and none knew where he had fled. But it was evident that he and Don Santiago were the same man. Don Hernando de Estrada realized now that the men on the Spanish ship had not died from plague, but by the vampire's fangs. De Estrada and the cannibal and the remaining soldiers found Don Santiago, stretched in bestial sleep in a clump of chaparral. Full gorged he was with human blood from its latest victim. Now it is well known that a vampire, like a great serpent, when well gorged falls into deep sleep and may be taken without peril. But the Estrada was at a loss as to how to dispose of the monster. For how may the dead be slain? For a vampire is a man who had died long ago, yet is quick with a certain foul on life. The men urged the caballero to drive a stake through the heart of the fiend and cut off his head uttering the holy words that would crumple the long-dead body into dust. But the priest was dead, and the Astrada feared that in the act the monster might waken. So they took Don Santiago, lifting him softly and bore him to an old Indian mound nearby. This they opened, taking forth the bones they found there, and they placed the vampire within and sealed up the mound. Dios grant until judgment day. It is a place accursed, and I wish I had starved elsewhere before I came into this country seeking work. For I have known of the land, and the creek, and the mound with its terrible secret ever since childhood. So you see, Senor Brill, why you must why not, you must open, not the open the mound and wake, and wake the, fiend. the fiend. What? Why did you stop? That's where Lopez's story stopped. That was the page he had clutched in his hand. It ended with a long scratch of the pencil that had torn it. What'd you do after you read that story? Well, what'd you think I'd done, Tim? Well, I know what I would have done. I realize that that's why I found that spur. One of them Spaniards must have dropped it while digging. And I might have known it had been dug up before the way the charcoal was scattered out, but... Good God. Here, have another. 
Thanks. I thought it was madness, Tim. Lopez was plain loco. There ain't no such thing as vampires. I cursed the old goat for a full minute, asking myself, why didn't this vampire get me first instead of Lopez? But then... <sighs> what? I'll never forget it. Not as long as I live. Suddenly at the window, a face appeared and gibbered at me through the glass. Two icy eyes seemed to drill through to my soul. I shrieked, I think. And the face vanished. But then I recognized the same foul stench I'd smelled when I dug through to that burial chamber. And the door creaked. Started to bend slowly inward. I had the forty-five in my hand. But it didn't occur to me in that moment to fire through the door. All I could think was that thin slice of wood is the only thing separating me from some whore born out of the night and the ancient black past. I couldn't do nothing but stare as I heard the door give and the staples of the bolt groan. Then the door burst inward. I tried to scream, but my tongue was dry plastered to the roof of my mouth. The monster in front of me was tall and vulture-like, with icy eyes, black fingernails, and an ancient moldering outfit of long spurred boots, slouch hat with a crumbling feather, and a flowing cloak that was falling to shreds. All these features I took in with a single glance as the creature stood framed in my doorway. And then it came at me. Jesus, Steve, what'd you do? I don't rightly recollect everything that happened next. I know I fired my colt at it, and that slowed it down some, but not for long. It was on top of me before I knew it, and it took all my strength to keep those snapping teeth away from my throat. In our struggle, rolling around on the floor, we hit the table, and the coal oil lamp got knocked over, and in like a second, the walls were on fire. Those sharp black claws were tearing at me, and 300 years of imprisonment had made the monster's body as hard as wood. I was screaming and yelling, kicking and clawing myself, while all around us the flames burned upward to the roof of my shack. In a final burst of strength I broke away, and even though blood was in my eyes I found the monster, grabbed him with all my strength, lifted him over my head and brought him down hard against the edge of the fallen table, cracking his spine like a twig. Now I thought that would take care of it, but the thing started crawling towards me the same way a dying snake crawls. Tarnation. I'll say tarnation. Well, sir. The flames and the sight of that evil thing still trying to reach out for me got to be too much. So I wiped the blood out of my eyes and got out of that burning cabin. The way I reckon I'd run out from between the gates of hell. But I guess I didn't get too far before I stumbled and fell. And that's probably where Deputy Carey found me. Yep, I reckon. Whew, Steve, that was some yarn. Well, every word of it was true. Was there anything left after the fire? Nope, I'm sorry. And about Lopez? Yeah. I felt mighty bad for that old mix. Did you find him in his shack, like I said? Well, no. Six by three, we 
My, my, my. Wasn't that simply blood-curdling creeps? <laughs> oh, it reminds me of a vampire I knew from Kansas City. He had a real eye for the ladies. Yes, and the ladies made him give it back. <laughs> Our show was called The Horror from the Mound. The third episode of The Cellar. And I, of course, am your hostly ghost. Um, your ghostly host, Cadavra Quivery. The Horror from the Mound was a short story by Robert E. Howard, originally published in 1932. It was adapted by Pete Lutz. So, until next time, fiends, remember, don't take candy from stranglers! <laughs> The Cellar is produced and directed by Pete Lutz. The theme was composed and performed by Tom Rory Parsons. Our cast consisted of the following players. Lothar Tuppen as Steve Brill. Juan Perez as Juan Lopez. Julie Hoverson as the teacher and the nurse. Edward Champion as Doc Cashin. And Mark Rigsby as the sheriff. Music for this episode was specially composed and performed by Dr. Ross Bernhardt. Cadavera Quivery is played by Angela Young. This is Graham Rowett speaking. The Cellar is a 63 audio production mixed and mastered in Corpus Christi, Texas. Join us next time when Cadavera tells you a tale of medical science and how a doctor deals with a patient who's more than he seems. Here's a scene from that episode. Um, well. Yes. How long, uh, how long have you had this? Always. As far back as I can remember. I was born with it, so I was told. But it wasn't always the same size. Not the same size? What do you mean? Well, it, it was, um, it used to be small, very small. But in the last three months, it's been growing steadily. Really? It's called The Evil Twin by R. Anthony. Next time on The Cellar. Sixty-three audio. There are a number of things that we can all do to help stop the spread of the coronavirus and protect ourselves and our families. One is simply to clean your hands often. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, especially after you've been in a public place or after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing. If you don't have access to soap and water, then make sure you use a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. And finally, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. These are some simple things that we can all do to help protect ourselves and our families from the spread of coronavirus. Be well, everybody. <laughs>